Welcome to Musician. I'm your host, Andrew Lapau. Let's start the show. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2019. Uh, this is the first podcast, Musician Podcast episode of the New Year. So thanks for joining me. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Grady Saxman, uh, a drummer based out of Nashville. He's the owner of Saxman Studios, his home studio in Mount Juliet. And uh, this past year in 2018, uh, you can read on his Instagram account about his per- personal goal that he reached, tracked over 100 sessions at his studio, um, did 100 drum tracks overdub there as well, 50 singles that he produced himself, and he uh, also plays on his first number one hit, um, One Number Away, for Luke Combs. He's the drummer on that recording, so you can hear him on the radio. He came into my studio to talk about um, how he transitioned from just being a drummer for hire in Nashville. He's originally from Texas. Um, how he came here and how he was able to uh, be a session drummer, but then also learning engineering skills and then production skills and now running his own studio. So we do talk quite a bit about gear in this episode. So for all the gear heads, there's lots of gear talk in this one. Uh, but for everyone else who's not very uh, technically uh, minded uh, in the technology side of what, uh, in the technology aspect of recording, uh, there's just really great insights that, that Grady um, gives into, you know, business, the music business, forming relationships in the industry, lots of great little profound tidbits of information uh, throughout this whole interview. So without further ado, here's my interview with Grady Saxman. Enjoy. So how did you get into the podcast thing? I started this about four years ago. Really? Um yeah, and kind of like dipped in and out of it whenever I was busier on the road. It was just hard to... It takes a long time to record and then edit yeah. and then publish a podcast. So I just started getting into podcasts like last couple years, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's insane because the one who got me into uh, listening to podcasts too was... Uh, what's his name? Um, Mike Rowe. Mm-hmm. You ever heard his podcast? What does he have? It's called uh, That's the Way I Heard It. Okay. And they're 10-minute clips and there's almost like a fictional narrative mm-hmm. based on true events oh, okay and he re- there's a big reveal at the end of each episode and so it's almost like books on tape for yeah. 10 minutes and then at the very end and it's like the, he reveals the real people's names and you're like oh i know this story you know what i mean oh interesting yeah so it's it's a really cool one and it's a it's kind of a good one for like baby podcasters before you yeah. sit down and listen to like um a three-hour Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what the I mean? long-form like, stuff I just woo. don't even bother with anymore. Yeah. But his are 10 minutes, you know? I could do... That's very doable for me. Um, I guess the one that inspired me the most when I started was WTF with Mark Marin. Have okay. you ever checked that one no, out? No, dude. I'm still pretty, like, you know, I'm a baby podcast. He's, li- like, enjoyer. in the 600s now on how many episodes oh, wow. he has. Um, but he interviews... Um, Actors, directors, artists, musicians. Just all over the place. All over the map. So when I heard his, I said, oh, this is like what I do every day when I'm 
talking to musicians, I want to have just Imagine, one that's for musicians. It's like you could almost do this every time you go out and have coffee with somebody. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah. It's like, hey, what's, what's your deal? <laughs> totally. Exactly. And what's cool about it is kind of like it just leads to more um, more people to interview. Someone goes, do you know who loves podcasts? This guy. Call mm-hmm. him up. He would come on your podcast. And then it's, I'm talking to someone with a lot of credentials and who's been in the business for a long time. Um, so I've had some really good episodes. They kind of last 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour and a half in that mm-hmm. range. So we just end it when it feels when you're like natural oh, you're yeah. like, and cut, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to talk, but you know, you're featured. So I want to talk about you. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Oh, um, sorry, I'm going to kick the mic. So how, uh, how long have you been in Nashville? I moved here in 2010. Okay. So I came up, it was February. It was right before that big flood that mm-hmm. Nashville had. So uh, I got up here and I was 20 or I was 19 mm-hmm. actually. And uh, I, I needed to sign a lease on an apartment. So I came up with a bunch of cash because I didn't have any credit. And uh, I found a place. They took all my money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, For went, a year. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. A year up front. And then... Um, I went back home to finish like my last semester of school and that's whenever like the flood happened and it just like the way that the news made it sound is like nothing but Noah's Ark would have survived. And I was like, Oh my God, I just gave this apartment company like all this cash. Yeah. Where was it located? <laughs> it was right next to the dam. Oh man. <laughs> In Hermitage. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, On Bell Road? Uh, it's right off Dotson Chapel in Bell Road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Literally, like, I used to walk to the dam, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, man, that cash is just all floated down the Cumberland. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So did was there a bunch of water damage? And where the place was, it was unscathed. Oh. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so I I came up, yeah, in February, finished that semester of college, and then I moved I moved in in July 2010, so it's been eight years now. Mm-hmm. So it goes by quick. I still feel like I've only been here five. Yeah, the time does go by. You've really been here quickly. a while too, right? Like six years. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I, once I hit five, I was like, wow, I've really been here for five years. And then every single year, it still is like, feels like I've been here five years. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I feel once once I felt comfortable enough where I was making a living and I was like, okay, I can pay my rent and feed myself, then time just like just went by so quick oh my god because yeah. the first i struggled here i think for the first few years it was just making ends meet you know for which was f- fine and everything but like there were some winters where i was like am i gonna stick around this town it, the winters got slow and this is before uber too mind you oh yeah you know <laughs> like this uber makes being a musician in nashville so much easier if you have to go through a dry spell and you have a car you're like well shoot i guess i'll just do some uber in you did know you ever mean? do that no, I haven't. <laughs> but I, I am a little jealous uh, um, of the people that move to town and just start Ubering. I was like, man, that is really mm-hmm. convenient because you can be kind of picky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. Which I don't know if is a good thing either. Like just being picky when you move to town. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. like, you you know, like um, there's definitely like an etiquette. Like when I moved to town, what, what year did you move to town? 2012. So same, same kind mm-hmm. of. I feel like, okay, so... 2014 is when everything for me kind of started feeling different. Like mm-hmm. the town was changing really rapidly. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So when I moved here in 2010, there was definitely like an etiquette that was kind of instilled in all the new people. You know what I mean? Like basically like you move to town and it's like, okay, cool. Like welcome to town. 
um, this is how it goes. This is how it works. Like kind of get in line. And if you do good, you know what I mean? Totally a get in line town. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, so that being said, it's like the Uber thing. uh, Now, if you move to town, you're like, oh, I'm just going to drive for Uber. You can kind of be picky about, you know, some of the gigs you take, which is kind of not the the way that it was when we moved here. Because it was like, okay, like. I'll do any gig. <laughs> like, give me a gig. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's... to me, that was exciting though, because you don't really know what you're gonna get. And there were exactly. some styles of music where I was like, I don't really want to do that, but I need the gig. And then I learn it, and I was like, I'm really happy I learned all that music. Well, yeah, um, innovation is forced by you know out mm-hmm. of necessity mm-hmm. normally. So if you don't have that, um, if you don't absolutely need the money. It's like you're not going to grow as quick. Yeah. And so I feel like um, like my first two years in Nashville was more it was more of an education than the two years I did in college mm-hmm. for music. You know what I mean? Just because it's real world crash course. Um, it's less about chops and more about like being a functional member of a, right. of a band. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, essentially. You're so. a part of the whole. Yeah, you're exactly. Not, yeah. It's it's you know, it's like less tennis and more basketball, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, but up until then, it's like in college, you're like, oh, cool. Look what I can do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gospel chops. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what shed set. You know, that's what you would shed, you know, right. in college. And then you come to town. And it's like, crap, I got to make money. So you take on all these gigs and you get, you know, you feel like you're just treading, you know, your chin's like barely above the water because you're juggling, you know, 250 songs a week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All these different bands that you're playing with. And a lot of the the uh, alumni of Berkeley that come down here, you, I, I remember going on the road and they got this drummer. He's like killing it now in town, but he was pretty green when he came to town, and he had a really light touch on the kit. And but it's like, no man, like jazz hands. <laughs> you're playing a rock show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, hit the thing. Yeah. Um, and there's just all that type of like lessons you learn. You kind of got to forget what what the older generation has told you about what is really musical and you really got to find your own, your own voice, your own voice within that, within the jazz hands and the rock hands and all that, you know? Yeah. I really feel like to work here, you, you need to understand how to do all of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but, and, and it's really easy too. I, I kind of fell into this trap when I moved to town is like you move into town and you kind of feel like for me, I felt like I kind of lost my voice. Like almost mm. on purpose, because I was like, "Oh man, like I come from this background, and like this isn't necessarily what these cats are doing." What is your background? You, you I'm say? I'm like more of a rock guy. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up listening to rock, and so I uh, was really showboaty, mm-hmm. really showboaty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like kind of over the top, and um, I always wanted to do sessions, and I was just like, "Okay, cool." Like these guys are not about that at all. I mean, these guys are showing up with Velcro shoes and sweatpants. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and it's just, I'm like, how do I fit in? You know? So you just kind of like lose a bit of your identity and try to mold, you know, yourself to fit in with the people that you want to be like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I, I I definitely feel like I'm going back now to kind of more of my roots as a player, as opposed to like always kind of chasing whatever it is I feel like other people are doing. But I feel like that's a pretty common trap when you move to town because it's a very daunting experience being just, you know, submerged in a pool of great players that are all working and it's like mm-hmm. well you know how, how do i get like that you know you really do have to mimic 
what works. I think in town you kind of take on, I think if you move to any town, if you move to Nashville or you move to New Orleans or New York, you kind of take on the language oh, for of sure. what is working in town. But then you have to find either if it's going to be your own original project or, you know, solo thing, that's when your voice comes out. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just really just going to be working for other people. Like if you can, like you have a studio now. So now you can actually sit behind the drums and be like, this is how it sounds. This is how Grady Saxman sounds. Right. Instead of just being a drummer that just does the drum thing. Right. Yeah. And that's a whole different, it's a whole different mindset too, because I find it. So I still do like pickup gigs and mm-hmm. like I was out on the road. Um, I did a little one off Saturday and some dude, sometimes it's so much harder to just put yourself in a band situation like that where it's like, okay, I, I don't, I can't be myself really. I have to be mm-hmm. the drummer that was on this record. And it's like, mm-hmm. man, that is a pretty, um, it's a useful skill to have and, and a chop that I think everybody should probably keep up. But at the same time, it's like, you also need to be able to say like, oh, this is how I would do this song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just to be able yeah. to have, have a voice, know what your voice is like, you know. Well, a lot of bands now are just uh, bouncing the uh, studio uh, stems and putting them on tracks on the road. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a, like a current trend now. Right. They'll just take the studio tracks and play them live mm-hmm. on tour um, or hire guys to play that exact part. Right. Um, and there, so now, depending like on how big the gig is, like you're supposed to pay. Oh yeah, for to yeah. to be able to use the actual stems from the record. So yeah. now you have like everybody's keyboard players like frantically like trying to <laughs> recreate <laughs> everything off the record so you can use the uh, you know those parts live and not right. have to pay like limited pressing or something mm-hmm. every time you play. But you know it's one of those things if you're not signed. I don't think anybody's coming after you. For that I don't think so either, but I think even the bigger acts are still trying to like dodge that. Oh, whole for thing. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the incentive was just to kind of keep real people out on oh, the yeah. road. You know what I mean? Um, that way I think they were just kind of like forecasting it. Maybe like country music to start looking like hip hop where you have basically like yeah. a person running around singing to a karaoke track. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> They're like, wow. Like now that there's, cause you know, like tracks and loops and programming and stuff really wasn't even probably popular in country until like 2012, right? 2010, maybe it was pretty, it was, it came from the country rap, like, Oh, the whole side of thing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like music mafia stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that just became more mainstream. So you've got a drummer and the SPDX, uh, sampler and then an 808 in there all at the same time right and i'm a huge fan of 808s of course yeah in hip-hop so <laughs> so I mean, okay uh so you came here in 2010 and you kind of do what we all do here and take any gig right but you've you've really nicely transitioned into studio owner studio musician drummer for hire and engineer did you learn this in school all this stuff or did you teach yourself all that along the way um no i so when when i went to school i went to school for performance Mm -hmm. and uh man my parents were like you should really think about getting an audio engineering degree too Mm -hmm. because they're um the school i went to the studio and the performing the performing uh 
um, class. They were they were basically the same. You know, they 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 you, we did like for me. What's the program? Uh, so the technical term for my degree is uh, commercial music performance with emphasis in studio musicianship. Okay. What school is this? <laughs> uh, this is a tiny school uh, in southeast Texas uh-huh. called Lamar okay. State. And um, when I so when I was graduating high school, they started this program, and this was the first year that they had ever done it. And so it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, it was a small school, but they really had a lot to prove. So they brought in a bunch of really great teachers, um, a lot of them from Nashville. Hmm. And so that was kind of one of the ways I ended up in Nashville was through the school. Just a lot of the people that were teaching me and um, that kind of thing. Like they all had roots in Nashville. A lot of them ended up moving back to Nashville. We all ended up like kind of moving all back. Mm-hmm. Well, them back, me there around the same time in 2010. Because uh, our, our degree program was just a two-year degree and it was kind of like vocational. So there's, there wasn't a lot of core classes, and it was mostly just the four years of material you would have to go through um, in, like, a traditional music course is mm-hmm. what you did for two years. Mm-hmm. So I had, like, five regular classes. So anyway, that that's a really long story. But um, I was there basically to learn, um, I guess, like, what it took to, to, to work in a studio as a drummer. And so... I was in the studio quite a bit. And so my parents were like, you should really think about learning the engineering side of it too. And I was like, I'll never have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So it's a big headache for a while. Oh my God, it's insane. And, um, so I, uh, I didn't do any engineering when I was in college and then I was here for two years. And the first two years I was here, I mean, I was, I was doing like this, like traveling cover band gig where we would go all through the Southeast and, Mm -hmm. Um, just play like frat parties right. and bars and that kind of thing. And um, m- meanwhile, like I had some friends and I used to be in a band in, in Houston that was part of a, like a production company. And so they had a studio and like a label and this whole thing. And they would bring me back to do records. And um, I, you know, like I moved to town to do sessions primarily. And so like it was a passion and I was doing more and more stuff where I was having to drive back to Houston to to do these records. And so I was like, man, I think, I think I would benefit from having a studio where I can cut my own drums Mm -hmm. and email the tracks to people. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I got into my first studio as the band I was playing in. We had a bass player who already had all the gear that you needed, you know? So he was running a 16 channel Pro Tools HD rig. Right. And so we went in, um, on a spot down on the row it was a really cool, vibey room. It was the old Warner Brothers um, room. Nice. Well, it, the whole building was Warner Brothers. So there was actually three studios in there. There was we we were on the second story, which is the, the I think they called it the loft mm-hmm. back in the day, but uh, it was more of like a a vocal overdub kind of situation. And then the larger studios were downstairs, and so it was like us, and then Butch Walker was downstairs, and Brandon Benson. So it was a pretty exciting time like for me i was 22 and i was like oh my god like butch walker's like down there making yeah. cool records yeah <laughs> um and so I, I did that for a couple years and that's where i really learned how to engineer and it's not even i mean i still i still 
hate to call myself an engineer really because I still feel like I'm always learning, but um, I just learned basically just out of necessity, like how to make my drums sound right, you know, and, mm-hmm. make, and to make people happy. I, in any, any session I would do, I'd probably annoy the engineer because I'd just be over his shoulder looking and watching, oh, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Asking questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, there's there's a couple friends like my friend Casey. I I I know I, I I have no issues with like when some of my friends are getting into production, they'll call me, you know, like five times in twenty <laughs> minutes trying to figure out some Pro Tools thing. Yeah, and it's like part of me is like, oh come on, man, just Google it. But then I have to remind <laughs> myself, I'm like, that was me. Yeah, and I'm like, poor Casey, man. He he essentially was like he, he taught me like a whole semester's worth of uh <laughs> yeah you know at least like pro tools operating pro, pro tools operating is a, is a the hardest beast to conquer I think when it comes to DAWs like I use Logic here mm-hmm. it's a lot more user friendly for it's definitely intuitive yeah uh, for me I f- I'm a total fish out of water um in Logic mm-hmm. because Logic does a lot of things for you which is what kind of makes it intuitive like you just throw up a session there's like already reverb and delay like set up. Yeah, you can set it up like that. Yeah. Um, and I I never got into like really like the like setting up my own templates or anything mm-hmm. but like I would just open it up like where is this reverb coming from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why does the click have a delay on it? <laughs> yeah, I think because now if you just get Logic and you download it and you open it up it looks almost exactly like GarageBand. Oh yeah. Totally. So you have to go into the preferences and go to advanced and make it look like logic should look. Mm-hmm. Click on all the things, the advanced settings. Uh, but yeah, for MIDI, you don't have to set up an extra MIDI instrument thing like you do in in Pro Tools. It's, I will say logic is pretty MIDI, MIDI friendly. Yeah. Not that Pro Tools isn't, but Pro Tools doesn't do anything for you. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. essentially like a blank canvas. So if you're like... Ah, I want to make a MIDI track. It's like, do you want an instrument track? Do you want a MIDI track? Do you want to route mm-hmm. it to a a, a bus with a, instru- a virtual instrument on it? It's like, wow, there's so many options. Exactly. Like, MIDI, yeah. you're like, oh, piano, boom, done. Yeah, and yeah. it already like knows yeah. where your keyboard and is. It and it comes with so many built-in effects and instruments. It really and loops does. And yeah, um, I don't really use any of those. I have, I use the third-party stuff mostly. It's a great writing tool. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. There's it a all score there, editor on it now. Um, that kind of rivals uh, Finale and Sibelius. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't written music down right. <laughs> in the longest time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did a, a, I just mixed a classical trio with, uh, but it wasn't real instruments. It was for this art installation. And uh, my friend up was Wisconsin. He's like, hey, can you mix this for me? And he sent me a MIDI file. And it was so easy oh, to wow. just put in. I used like Native Instruments. Uh, instruments for the strings and the and the wind instruments and then mixed it in here and it was really easy to do yeah well and it's really easy to export midi files mm-hmm. in a uh, logic as oh, well yeah. you just throw them in there yeah i mean i like it i there was a time where i really wanted to get better at logic and then i don't know what happened but i don't think i've gotten any better at it as long as it's just what works for you if you're doing pro tools i'd say stick with it because that's the industry standard yeah, but for how long though? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of disgruntled avid customers out there. <laughs> I know. You know. <laughs> it's it it's weird the more and more too. I find myself just making stems for people cuz everybody's oh, on yeah. different DAWs now. It's mm-hmm. not like I mean, even a couple years back it was like, cool, where do I send the pro tools session? And now it's like 
oh, like, do you need stems? Like, that's like the first question. Like, do you want this session? Do you mm-hmm. have it? Can you even use this Pro Tools session? Right. Or do I need to go through and send you stems? Yeah, I think it's it's more stems these days mm-hmm. than just a Pro Tools session. And even if you are a Pro Tools user, sometimes it's just easier to import the stems. Oh, yeah. Because Pro Tools is There's such a... There's a checks on it. Well, I mean, so Pro Tools kind of... Uh, it gets squirrely. Like when you import session data or when you import other people's sessions, it changes your whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it can be like all of a sudden, like your your hotkeys aren't the same or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or like your your backups are like every 10 minutes, not every one minute. Oh, okay. So it really changes the, uh, the inner working of Pro Tools. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it imports the other people's interfaces, like buses and mm-hmm. ins and outs. and Okay. Oh, yeah. well, that's a huge headache. Yeah. <laughs> It can be, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. It, it's So when you do uh, like these mobile sessions where people say they want you to record just drums in mm-hmm. your studio, are you mostly sending stems? Hmm. It really depends. I, I, would, I would say it's still, it's not mostly. Mm-hmm. I would say it's still like, um, I don't know, maybe 30% of the time. Okay. Uh, it depends. Like the only thing with stems is now you don't have playlists. Okay. You know, yeah, um, that's true. So, like in in Pro Tools, like the playlists are really easy to get to, and um, so a lot of people they're like, give me like three tracks, three different takes, approaches, or whatever, and just send me the session. Right. And they'll go through and they'll pick their favorite parts or something like that. But if if you were to do that in stems, man, that would be a lot of extra work. You know, now you have to like get three folders of stems and make sure they're labeled correctly. First take, second take, third yeah. take, and then if God forbid you punch something, you got to go in go in and check all your crossfades, make sure that nothing's flaming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's a bunch of extra work on the back end where just sending the session is so much easier. I see. I, now I wanted to ask you, cause I saw your studio the other day, like you, the way you have everything wired is really well done. <laughs> like there's a feng shui to your studio that I was immediately hit by. I was like, I could see why this, Grady's working a lot. How like, so? I'd love to, to know where you're coming from. Um, well, just that it's a house mm-hmm. and there's levels to it. Mm-hmm. That always adds a cool di- dimension to a studio if you have to walk upstairs. And right. like, There's a studio in East Nashville that I'm at at least once a week and I have to walk down to the basement through these spiral stairs. Okay. And you're, you're entering a New space. Room. Yeah, yeah, you yeah know? sure. And I think this place is like it because you're just walking into a garage. Well, you have and... a different color palette too, mm-hmm. which changes, which is yeah. nice. And the drums are in line with the... Have you noticed that? I, You know what? <laughs> I didn't notice because it was the feng shui was so good. <laughs> I know. It's an effortless <laughs> color palette in here. That's that just happened. I had these at my other house and I brought them in here. I was like, whoa, it was like meant it's to meant be. It's meant to be, yeah. Yeah. That's um, hilarious. The fade, even the, like the, yeah, the whole gradient. Anyway, enough admiring my own. Not that the own. people can see it, but I will say he has orange walls and a orange to dark burnt orange uh, faded drum kit, which looks amazing in the room. Thank you. But going back to your studio, so yeah, you walk in and then it's just this really nice wood um, in that you can really smell the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that adds a level to just the vibe of sure. a place that you can, it smells good. And natural. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time I smell like a natural wood, I'm like, oh, it probably re- records great in here. If that is a conscious thing or a subconscious thing. It's like it looks like it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, and um, 
But then you walk up the stairs and then it's this tracking room and a control room all at the same time, which I'm a huge fan of, like you see yeah, here. Yeah, just like your space. Um, and you had the uh, the client speakers like panned like really far and then you had the like the little computer speakers in the middle and i don't know what you had for other monitors i have what you have um hs8s monitor the hs5s okay so they're slightly smaller do you have a subwoofer i don't okay um those big client speakers i have i have um basically they're old it's just an old uh record player system Mm -hmm. um with like i want to say it's 15s old pioneer uh they're from the 70s like mm-hmm. you can pick them up they're not expensive but they sound awesome and 15 inch pioneer speakers mm-hmm. okay yeah from the 70s they sounded awesome dude i'm like literally running like audio like just speaker cable like all the way across the room for those things they are coming out of the head mm-hmm. i have out of pro tools i'm going into the head of that um old system which colors the sound i think in a good way though and then I basically just kind of tuck it in a little bit, and there's a on those old record players, there's a loudness button, mm-hmm. which basically is a huge smiley face EQ. Okay, right, yeah, I remember you showing me that. And so I just keep it on loud, and that's the, that's how I reference the low end. But I call it client speakers because they're so loud, and there's so much high end and low end that like, even if you just tracked a full band thing, and there's not no EQ on it, you throw it through those speakers, and everybody's like, wow, it sounds like yeah. a record. Yeah, you know. Um, and just the, I feel like any space that has movement in it is a good vibe. And that's what I try to have here, like having these doors and, and things moving in and out. Um, you have, you have your drum on a movable riser, would you yeah. call it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, like a seven by eight riser, mm-hmm. um, that's on wheels mm-hmm. and it has wheel locks and I roll it basically in front of the desk. Mm-hmm. And um, it stays there, you know, 90% of the time. But like the other day when you were over, we are having a party. So I just undid the wheel locks and moved it over to the side mm-hmm. of the room. And it kind of makes the room feel bigger than what it is. Because yeah. essentially it's just a 22 by 20 room. <clears throat> so any way that you can kind of give the illusion of extra space is a good thing. So you're running a, a 32 channel studio. Yeah. And- so I have the Orion 32 plus which is a thunderbolt interface and it's 32 in and out only converters okay so there's no pre's in it okay um it's like i think it's like 3200 bucks Mm -hmm. so like per channel you're paying like 100 bucks a channel for conversion and it's really really good conversion and uh the stereo outs on it for the monitors are like mastering quality um outs so they sound really really good okay so i actually had the chance I had an old inter- interface, <clears throat> and before I sold it, I just kind of A-beat him. I had like a, you know, a DB25 with some pre's, and I would record something, and then I'd unplug it and plug it into the other one and record and change the monitors and stuff. Man, it, it was a huge difference. Yeah. Especially in the um, in the speakers. Like, the, the quality of the, the monitor outs on there was pretty exceptional. So, I've had it for a while now, probably like three years. I haven't had any issues, but being a drummer, it's like I kind of need all that I.O., and I right. do a lot of full band tracking you know so i have like a six-piece band and a scratch vocalist Mm -hmm. and so all that stuff comes in handy so when you're doing uh would you say most of your sessions are are they all over the map are they mostly demos are they mostly albums oh i would say i mean all over the map in a sense just because some sometimes it's a project i'm producing Mm -hmm. and then sometimes 
what I've been doing a lot of this last year and a half has been other producers coming over and uh, just basically using uh, the place to cut. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So like I'll engineer and play drums and then there'll be a full band and they'll be in there with headphones on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kind of just directing everybody how they want it to sound and they'll leave with the the session. Um, So I do a lot of that. And then I have like a couple regular publishing accounts that I'll do like demo sessions for and a couple writers that I'm buddies with that'll come over and do demo sessions, you know, semi-regularly. So it's all over the place. I think maybe uh, Thursday I'm doing like a video, like a live video there or something. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like a cover song or something. Um, And then today we did a BMG demo thing, demo day there. So four songs Mm -hmm. for a BMG writer that has like a monthly account where he'll just come over the first Monday of every month at two. Mm-hmm. So just the same players all the time. That's awesome. kind of everybody has it on the calendar. Like this is the day that we do these demos, you know. And I see on your Instagram you're using a uh, Tim Dembo on bass quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, he was there. He was yeah. there today. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He and I go way back. Did y'all go to school together? Uh, we just just gigs in town. Okay. So way back, like five years. <laughs> oh, it's pretty far back though, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a phenomenal bass player. He basically he shows up with a um, his own miniature studio and right. just plugs in to mine. Like I don't, he just goes direct in and it sounds amazing every time. I gotta get him on this podcast too. He's he's been in this town a long time. He has, man. Yeah. yeah, and he's a Berkeley dude. Oh yeah, I didn't realize. I, I remember him telling me that. Um, so you're set up right now for if someone were to call you and say I want to I want to cut. A song at Saxman Studios. What mm-hmm. are you using, mic wise, on your drums? What do you kind? Of, how do you kind of set it up? So, for the drums, I, I, this is something that I've I've actually kind of thought about a lot because there's a lot of really great stuff out there. And um, when it comes to like doing work for other producers, I feel like it's kind of important to have stuff that they're familiar with more so than stuff that you think sounds great, like. There's a lot of stuff that's going to do the job, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, but I try to keep it semi, like, classic. So I just, 57 mm-hmm. on the snare top. I have a 421 on the side of the snare. Okay. I have a um, 451, which is the AKG condenser mic. Mm-hmm. Small diaphragm condenser, like a pencil condenser mm-hmm. on the snare bottom. Okay. So, like, just immediately, like, most producers and engineers know exactly what those mics are how they sound, they've worked with them before. Mm -hmm. So like when someone's taking a chance, because, you know, like budgets aren't huge, so you want to make sure that you spend the money once, you know, and anything that you can do as like a, as a studio or a player or whatever Mm -hmm. um, to kind of create, you're basically just, you know, creating trust, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So anything you can do to kind of just say, oh yeah, like he has all the things that I know sound good, you know what I mean? So come you know as long as this guy doesn't show up with a massive hangover and is just terrible today like it's going to be good you know what <laughs> i mean yeah um so i have 421 i bought some um some uh 1960s 421s oh okay <clears throat> the gray ones and yeah i noticed those yeah, yeah. those are fun man uh I, this is like one of my first microphone purchases but mm-hmm. i got 3 of them with consecutive serial numbers from oh, the wow. 60s they're all like mint condition how'd you get those ebay I'm a huge eBayer man. Yeah, yeah. I, it's like, if if I can't sleep, I'll toss and turn and like with my <laughs> phone, you know, like looking at stuff on eBay. Yeah. Um, I've surprised myself with drunk eBay purchases. 
I've done that a couple times. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's so yeah. I got them on eBay. Um, and then I'm running. Um, what is it? The KM 184s, the Neumann. Oh yeah. Uh, small diaphragm mm-hmm. condensers for my overheads. Okay. Because I felt like I had the um I had some Aston Origins, which sounded really really good, but they're still a new company, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of one of those things where it's like cool like what are you using for your overheads aka like the most important mics in the drum kit right you're like oh this new brand yeah trust me they're great yeah. you know and it's like i did that for probably six months and i was like okay i need to like get some something that's more familiar and so it was like okay i was going to either get like the km184s the u87s or the coals mm-hmm. um and man it was just a, it was a matter of price you know i just yeah. i didn't want to shell out you know 2500 bucks for the coals or it would be a lot more expensive right. for the u87s and i just came across the deal there's a studio closing and he he was selling the pair for like a grand oh wow yeah so i just picked it up i was like yeah. cool overheads done yeah so i'll probably use those until someone requests something different but they sound great mm-hmm. and, I, and 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 you know what anytime people are like what are you using on your overheads i'm like km 184s they're like all right that's yeah. cool. I love those mics. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you do. You might not even, <laughs> you might not even know. You might have not even ever used it, yeah. but you just know what it is. So automatically, you're like on board. You're like, all right, man, that's cool. <laughs> um, do you have any uh, acoustic, like bigger acoustic things other than drums? Like, do you have a piano at your studio? No. Okay. Nope. Uh, it's basically overran with drums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's like and drums places to literally put drums. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would like to get a B3, but then again, it's like, where am I going to put it? Uh, did you see the one on the National Gear Trader page going a mint condition 1950-something, 59, B3? I think the 59 is like the yeah. the year for the Leslie that everybody There's wants. Some, yeah, for and mint condition Leslie and Oregon uh, together it was $7,000. I know. I don't know if that's a good deal or not. I don't either. I, I really don't know. I, I feel like it is. Yeah. I mean, I know he they don't make like, them anymore. I've lowered this from ten thousand dollars to seven. I was like, oh, and the the picture was beautiful. I was like, well, I don't have seven thousand dollars. So Man, I, don't I feel like you have a space here, right? You know, just by having this space, like one of your buddies one day is gonna like be moving. He's going to like, man, I don't have spot for my organ and my yeah. Leslie, man. Can you just hold on to it? That happens all the time. Yeah, my me. best friend's an organ player, and he, when he moved out of New York, he just gave his organ to his friend who owned a studio yep. out there. Yeah, because, you know, it's like, it. man, you, it's going to get taken care of. It's not going to be really get abused or anything. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, hey, man, like hold on to this till I can figure my life out and come back and get it. I would love to have a Leslie in here and run all kinds of things through it. Dude, yeah. And those things like they don't need a they don't need a room, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can put it anywhere and they're so freaking loud that it's going to sound fine, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not like you like for your guitars like, "Oh, I built like an ISO room for my mm-hmm. guitar." It's like you don't even need that for a Leslie. You can put it anywhere. Hmm. Um so actually I kind of want to go back a little bit to how you actually learned you so you you kind of were a fly on the wall or, or a session drummer at these studios in Music Row. Yeah, of. so I started playing on sessions first. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of lucky when I first moved to town. I met a guy named Larry. I was teaching I was teaching a lot of drum lessons. 
And uh, ironically, that was like, that's kind of how I got some of my very first accounts, which I still work with these people. So it's mm-hmm. been like an eight year relationship that just started in a very organic way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just for the record, I, I feel like there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of really great networking people, you know what I mean? That moved to town and like all about the, like the hustle's great, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, you, you need to go out and network, obviously, but it's like, man, there's no, um, there's no substitute for like real relationships. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like this, this, uh, you know, just making like meaningful relationships, I think is important. And I was teaching drum lessons and I just became friends with like some of my students, parents, um, some of my students, friends who ended up being producers and mm-hmm. we, they started using me on records and stuff like that. And it just turned into like a really natural working relationship. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of how I got started. And um, I was I was fairly busy, like I'm n- nothing like nothing like other people. I was maybe doing like a session a week or something. Okay. Uh, and and then I was like going back to Houston quite a bit to do sessions. And that's when I was like, man, I just need a place a to like be able to email track, so I don't have to keep driving back to Houston to do stuff. Right. Um, and then B, I was like, if I have a place, maybe that'll like. It'll maybe it'll just kind of grow, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, just in and of itself by having a place, and so it kind of did. <clears throat> so yeah, I when I I was I was here for two years and then got into like the studio world kind of full time mm-hmm. after that. That's when we got like that little room down on the row, mm-hmm. and so. Um, so were you calling that Saxman Studios? No, that was called uh, that was called Warner Robbins okay. Studio. Um, it was me and a partner. And so it was just kind of like a, a name that we both agreed on. Um, and we did, I did that for two years mm-hmm. and then that place ended up getting torn down. So it's just like going to be a condo, right? you know? Uh, and then before it got torn out, I, uh, I moved to a place with my buddy, David Dorn in Green Hills. And I was there for about a year and then when me and my wife bought a house, um, I was already like the, the place we were working at in Green Hills was just an old, it's like an old house, like 1920s. Uh, it's at, like on the Lipscomb campus. Mm-hmm. And so they own the house. It's like they're going to tear it down one day and maybe put like a building there for the campus. So like they were pretty cool with us doing anything. Like we had holes drilled through the floor and <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah, awesome. they're like they're gonna tear it down one day. Like it's it's cool. Like as yeah. long as it, you know, it's not gonna like collapse on somebody and hurt somebody. Like you can pretty much do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we that was cool. I mean, I, but I was like, I've, I was always sharing spots with people, right? And so that was kind of hard. You know what I mean? Having a schedule time around other people's time, and then it's like having a roommate. You know what I mean? Like the the relationship always falls apart in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> So it's like the laundry room and the kitchen. You know oh yeah, I mean? that's yeah. where like you really start to get mad at each other. The dishes, mm, everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some people think Taking the dishwasher the is a uh, magic. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I did not have a dishwasher in my last place. So mm-hmm. here, having a dishwasher, oh my god. But do you still scrub it right before? Oh you yeah. Put it, but there's people that don't. <laughs> 
that's disgusting. <laughs> Just throw it in. Yeah, they're like, it's yeah. a dishwasher. It'll wash the dishes. Now, I, uh, I'm like, you're the dishwasher. That's a dish sanitizer. I've always been a person that actually never really minded doing the dishes, like, by hand. Ugh, it... It, until I got married, I was not a dishwashing person. Yeah. You know, I would let the dishes pile up, but mm. I have been trained. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I've yeah. been, I've been changed. Yeah. No. Um, so, but it's cool that, I, that even though your studio is out in Mount Juliet, like you're still getting tons of business. It's not like you have. That was, this... I mean, that was a concern. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Whenever, uh, cause I always just worked downtown where everybody else worked and, there was days though that like I would drive in just for one overdub mm-hmm. that I would send to somebody. You know what I mean? So I'd spend like an hour driving right. there and back for like a hundred dollar overdub. Yeah. You know? And and then yeah, it it just started making more and more sense as I was doing more and more drum tracks, like just overdub kind of things to just move it to the house. And so um whenever we bought a house. One of the stipulations I, I told my wife, I was like, find something with a killer bonus room because I'm going to build a studio in it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so that was kind of like, we both agreed like, okay, cool. Like, let's do this. And so my wife, she went out house hunting um, for like the first time. You know what I mean? So she got a real estate agent to go with her and they they, they showed her uh, three houses <clears throat> and she called me. I was actually like working with somebody at a different, at the, the other studio. And she was like, you need to come here. I'm about to buy this house. <laughs> I was like, you left like an hour ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what are you even talking about? She was like, this is it. This is yeah. the one I want. I was like, that's great. Oh, Cause like hang tight. I'll be right there. Yeah. So I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. And I think I was cutting a vocal. I was like, I'm so sorry. I have to go. Like my <laughs> wife's about to buy this house. <laughs> So we went over there and, uh, man, it was the one, you know, and, uh, the bonus room was pretty decent size and there was a garage below it. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, you know, the original plan was just to work on the bonus room, get that up and going so I can do drum tracks and make some money and then, uh, slowly kind of build out that garage into what it is now. Yeah. How long did it take you from saying your studio was open to really getting a good flow of clientele? Uh, a day. Wow. I mean, it was one of those things where like I just moved yeah. locations. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So it wasn't like grand opening. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like, it wasn't anything like that. I mean, I had stuff booked there before I was even done with it. You know, because mm-hmm. I was like, I have to get out. I just kind of set myself like a a deadline. I was like, okay, I, I can't remember if it was July or June, but it was like July first. I'm out. I'm gonna be moving over to my place and doing stuff. And so, um. I had something on like July 2nd, nice. uh, like a record I did over there, um, which was a huge gamble because I had no idea how any of this stuff was going to work. You know, I was the, the garage wasn't built out at all. Um, I was using like a spare bedroom for an acoustic room. Mm-hmm. Um, I had ran like cables through my crawl space and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I just, I mean, it was like basically a huge trial by fire. Like I, it could have yeah. very well just, been a terrible thing yeah <laughs> but it worked out work was, yeah yeah but it worked out fine um and i just kind of i the studios kind of changed um i guess like the setup wise it's changed a little bit because before i had the acoustic room and so like 
I guess for people that are listening, my, my tracking room is my bonus room, which is like the second story of the studio. And then below I have an amp room where I put electric guitars. I have a lounge with like a couch and snacks and waters and I have an acoustic booth. And then in the lounge, I do like my scratch vocals down there. But when I first moved and I was start starting to work out of my house, all I had done was that bonus room. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, you know, just getting creative with like, I also didn't have a bathroom in my studio, mm. which that's kind of a new thing. Like within this year, I got a bathroom down there, which has been amazing because I can keep the door to the house closed. Mm-hmm. Um, but before, I mean, people would just be running all through the house, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was like the whole house was the studio, essentially, right. except for like me and my wife's bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I felt. I mean, now I feel really bad for her because she'd be like just held up in her in our bedroom watching TV while we're yeah. Is how can can she hear it? Oh, of course. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's not that what we were doing was loud. It was mm. more or less like she had to uh, she had to kind of sacrifice her uh, quality of life for like the three hours we were working. You right. Know I mean, like you can't like have the TV on too loud or like make sure the dogs don't bark. Like, but neighbors don't hear it. Um. Not anymore. Okay. I mean, like when I was cutting electric guitars in in the garage. Yeah. yeah. They thought this this is hilarious. Our neighbors, they thought we were partying all the time because it'd be like all these cars in my driveway and loud music. <laughs> yeah. Monday morning at ten. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, yeah. baby, it's okay if y'all party. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with partying. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, it was loud for a while. I mean, it was probably like that for a year. Mm-hmm. And then um, I finally uh, I just I cut my garage in half and built a wall and built an acoustic booth. And then I had a place to cut acoustic guitars that wasn't in my house. Mm-hmm. And I had a place to do scratch vocals, which wasn't in my house. But people were still going inside to use the restroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which was kind of, you know... It was. It never really seemed like a big deal at the time, but looking back now, I was like, "Man, I don't." If you build a studio, build a restroom. They, they go hand in hand. I was so happy when I saw this restroom it's, in here. It's crazy to me now yeah. that like I I went so long without having a bathroom in the studio. Um. So, taking it more to your recent success, uh, you've played on a number one. Is this your first number one? First, yeah. With yeah. Luke Combs. Yep. Uh, one number away. It was his third single. So. Which is kind of nerve wracking too, because you know, as an artist, like when you have your first two number ones, if you don't have that third follow up yeah. one, you're like, oh crap. You yeah, know? there's this whole Nashville <laughs> kind of uh, um, old wives tale type of thing of like, if your first song to hit radio is a number one, you're it's like a kiss of death. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And it, and also there's a thing too where it's like you know if your first three singles consecutively are number ones you're good yeah you know like yeah. from that point on you're like I'm good man yeah um, and there's been a lot of people like uh, Cole Swindle you know what I mean mm-hmm. all three like first singles were number ones um, I mean there's plenty of artists like that but um, I I was nervous I was like man. This, so the one I played on was the third single. I was like, oh, God, if this isn't a number one, this is going to be awful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was. So that's cool. Yeah. It, your parents proud? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My parents are proud. <laughs> I'm proud, yeah. honestly. It, it, it's, it was kind of just a stroke of luck, though. I mean, it's just like it was this 
drum track that turned into an upgrade that you know turned into a single that turned into a number one on a platinum record and it's like wow that's crazy yeah but it's like the stuff you do every day matters you know yeah and like at the time luke was unsigned you recorded that when he was unsigned okay so how'd you hook up with him so his first record was done by a couple different producers and essentially, there was a lot of demos, too, that got upgraded Okay. for that first record. Um, and my buddy, Sammy Mitchell, was the guy who produced One Number Away. Okay. He's also a writer on it. Okay. So I, from from what I understand, the story I heard is they went and I think they cut it with a different producer, and they just didn't, they didn't like how it came out. Mm-hmm. So they came back to Sammy, who had done the demo on the song that they liked, and they gave him a budget. And like, hey, you know, here's... A budget to do this song right like go for it and so he's one of these guys that kind of he's more of a rock dude you know mm-hmm. what i mean so he kind of he, he likes to cut things in stages so we just cut drums and then he did bass and acoustic and electric all afterwards oh okay you know what i mean so for me this was at my my old place you know i showed up and uh it was just like an overdub like any other overdub um luke was there uh his manager lynn was there we were all in the same room with headphones on, you know. Mm-hmm. Sammy was there, obviously. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, for the most part, that that was just like a like a one-take thing, and then we punched some spots, and then that was it, you know, and mm-hmm. they were out of there. So then there you go. fast forward six months down the line, uh, he had signed, I guess, with Sony, and then Sony was really liking the record, so they bought, you know, the rights – to the record, bought the masters, and then it got upgraded, mm-hmm. which was crazy. I learned a lot through that process because um, when you do overdub, just food for thought for you guys that are thinking about building like home studios or something like that. When you do overdub from the house and say like you're doing stuff for a major label, you get paid as an engineer as well. Ah, so um, you also get paid as session leader because you're the only member on the session so if like in my in my case that hundred dollar drum overdub got you know it was you got paid three times some yeah i got paid essentially three times yeah for it um as an engineer a programmer session leader oh wow and a programmer yeah exactly so um, there is, I mean, it's it's kind of a cool thing being able to do that from your house. I mean, it definitely is more beneficial monetarily, but I didn't know that. So that was something I learned through that process. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But none of that really matters if you're, unless the guy's signed to a major label or something. Right. You know? Yeah. But did, I had no idea. Did you just get paid for it? Did you have to invoice them? No. Um, so when they bought the rights to the record, um, basically it all goes to the union. And so okay. the producer just filled out the card mm-hmm. for me, right? Um, put down like the hours we worked and what song it was. And then the union invoiced Sony yeah, who cut me a check. Okay. So yeah, I mean, the union is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if I was going to ask you if you were part of the union, but yeah, that's because if you're going to be running sessions, it's, Man, you have to pretty much. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a part of the union. Ah. <laughs> um, and I, I, this makes me sound like a hypocrite, but they do great work. And I really should be. It's just a matter of like, I don't know why I'm not yet. Um, I should be. I should probably go tomorrow and sign up. But 
Well, I was at a, I was there for a meeting today, and uh, did you meet with Dave? Yeah, Dave's Dave's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, he said anybody who joins now will just have the rest of the year free, and mm-hmm. then you'll your dues will just start in January. Yeah. Um, and I, I pay my dues over there too. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um. And I've been putting more and more things on the card from my place. And so, you know, they, they take money out for their, for their fees and okay. stuff like that. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's probably a question for Dave, which is probably a whole other podcast. Just like yeah. the um Well, he was talking a lot about just a pension. If you're doing a lot of session work, then all that money can go towards a pension. Right. But And that's also kind of a hot-button issue right now too because they've made some investments that haven't really panned out with yeah. the pension um there's people that know a lot more about that stuff yeah i really do. don't know, know like um, so i don't want to speak too much about that <laughs> you know what i mean just because yeah. I, i'm not in the know too much but uh, i i would say that like just take the pension into your own hands like even though there will be a pension if you join it's like mm-hmm. it's way better just set, set aside your own money you know what i mean do your own like roth ira or something yeah yeah, Which no, is another thing I need smart. to do. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Oh, man. <laughs> I know, I know the right things to do. I just don't do them. Yeah, it's it's weird when you really have to pull the trigger on those things. You're like, oh, I got to make a Roth IRA. Yeah, and like I did, um, but it my bank is Wells Fargo, and I'm like so not trusting the that bank oh, at all, dude. especially with investments now. So my I, I bank with Wells Fargo too, mm-hmm. and I don't, man, I don't really keep up with like the news on what that whole thing was. But yeah, I can see like I get all. Needless to say, I get emails all the time like "We're working to make your experience better. We're sorry, you know." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're real they, sorry. It's yeah, like BP when they with got the oil spill, you know? yeah, they got caught like, oh, Wells Fargo just completely foreclosed on like a hundred people, families' houses that didn't need to be foreclosed on. Oh. Like, yeah, it was like really bad. Um, and so when that happened, and then they um, they created savings accounts, like paid accounts uh, for. Uh, for uh, people banking with them that they had no idea that they were opening these accounts. Oh, wow. So they were just charging them more money and opening more accounts. It's just real shady. Um, And, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then they called me the next day. They're like, oh, this is a courtesy call. Can you please call us back? We want to know if you still trust us. (laughs) Like like, On a scale of 1 to 10, how trustworthy? Yeah, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to trust you with a savings account now. So. I got to deal with all that stuff. Um, but uh, that's your water, by the way, if you need oh, water. Dude, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was eyeballing it. <laughs> um, well, well, cool. Yeah, we got to the, the Luke Combs stuff. And what, what's on your horizon? What's coming up for you? Right now, um, kind of just focused on finishing all the projects I started in the summer. Mm-hmm. I had a crazy summer this year, and I, I ended up like um as a producer taking on like four or five records Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm still working on that stuff yeah you know what i mean um and it is just kind of man so yeah really just trying to get everything done before i like to start every year fresh you know what i mean especially when it comes with to like projects i'm producing and stuff just trying not to keep it going and going and going and going so i'm really trying to kind of like you know knuckle down and and get to 
finishing up those records. And a lot of it's just kind of in limbo with mixing and mastering and Mm -hmm. revisions and all. So you're done tracking. Oh dude, I've been done tracking. Yeah. Since, since, you know, like you're just driving yourself crazy with the mixes. Yeah. Well, I don't mix this stuff either. Oh, you know, like, um, I probably could, I have mixed before too, but it's one of those things where like, I am really busy playing and, uh, it's one of those things like for me to get into the groove of it, I need to do it. Like, yeah, I need to do it. I need to spend like, you know, a whole day. And then I'm kind of like acclimated to my room again. Cause like I'll do a session at my place and I'll go somewhere else and I'll be on cans and I'll like, my ears are being bombarded by different yeah. environments and spaces. And so when I get back to my place and say like, if I'm mixing something, it's yeah. not going to be like a 10 to one thing, you know right. I mean? It'll be in the evening. So like, after a whole day of working oh yeah I you sit, can't you can't hear at that no, point you yeah. can't and i don't trust myself and man there's guys that just sit in the same room every day in front of the same speakers um that i trust yeah that have really great instincts that i would rather i'd rather spend the money um to get their opinion their ears on it and then also it's kind of a safety net too yeah. but they hear things that maybe i miss oh yeah totally all the time yeah and uh I really, I have some guys that just, they're not, they're not afraid to get creative with the mixes either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so they'll, they'll send things back with little like tidbits of like production stuff in there that I would have, yeah. I, I just didn't do or didn't, wouldn't have thought of, or mm-hmm. maybe they took one of my ideas and made it better. You know what I mean? Like even with like the sound of like, a, like I'll print delays and uh, little like reverbs and stuff like that for the vocal a lot mm-hmm. and I'll get stuff back. It's like in the spirit of what I was going for. Yeah, yeah. But with like, you know, like their, like their know-how of how to, yeah. they're like, oh, because they can tell you like, oh, you, you want the retro tape delay. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. And that's why, that's why I kind of draw the line at like, I'm a really good Pro Tools operator. Yeah. And uh, like the engineering side of it, like I feel like I'm good at getting sounds and I, I feel like I'm a good tracking engineer. Um, but for now, it's like, I kind of want to stick with things that I'm good at and get better at that stuff you know you know the more you do the more you spread yourself thin it's like you're not gonna yeah be well that's why anything the projects that i do i have to mix them you know so i'm a lot of the time i'm just like ooh, i want to use this technique and then i'll just spend a lot of time either reading or like checking out tutorials and then i got it and then i'm like cool that's another trick that i have in the bag Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another plugin. Like I'm really obsessed with the Waves Vitamin plugin. Like, what I really... is that? Is it new or is it old? No, it's 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 kind of stock. It comes with like the gold bundle too. Okay. Um, so you're saying it's free? <laughs> I guess they're selling it for like fifty bucks. Like if you just buy it by itself. Do you have any of the Waves stuff? I used to until I went to Pro Tools Eleven. Okay. Well, everybody had those cracks. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just bought it when it was on sale. Vitamin is really cool. Um, it's just a really fancy EQ. Mm. And um, it pretty much duplicates your track. And then you can really play. I could show you it when we're done. Okay. Yeah. Um, you could really play with all the intricate frequencies and then pan out uh, frequencies in a stereo. Okay. Uh, so you get like a left, right, and. Yeah. Like you can say, like, I want, I just want like the. Um, the low mids to come out here and then you can blend that with the original signal so you can oh, re- yeah, yeah. so it's like a blending eq tool it doesn't and just... it's got like the mid side 
yes. Going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you you pretty it's pretty much like an oral exciter. Like it just uh, I think I'm using that term properly. Like you just take a frequency, and you can really play and expand on certain frequencies. Um, just more. It's just a fancy EQ, really. But it you put it on like honestly, you can put it on anything. Man, and, did uh, I have one of those old oral exciters? Mm-hmm. And uh, those are pretty cool, man. Yeah. But yeah, they have a drive, and you have a tune, which is basically like a frequency sweep kind of thing, and then you have a mix knob. So okay. You can run it, you know, parallel with the sound, or you can go a hundred percent, or you know, any kind of which way. But it's kind of cool. Like you can get really crunchy kicks and snares with it, or okay. a vocal would probably be cool to do do through it um what what type of hardware are you running your drums through so i just kind of made a um i just kind of like changed up my setup you saw it it's Mm -hmm. new now but i uh i bought a bunch and you might laugh i I bought a bunch of the um what are the bbe uh sonic maximizers Mm -hmm. (laughs) i call them just sound better knobs yeah uh this is like a bass and a treble and so uh I'll run my toms through that and my kick and my snare through it. Okay. Um, and it basically like cuts. So I looked it up. The uh, EQ points are like 50 hertz and 5K. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you can boost those two. Okay. And I don't know how broad it is, but like on toms, it's pretty amazing. Okay. Um, are you running that through any compressors? No. Okay. No, uh, I don't compress a lot on the way in. Okay. Um, so you mostly using plugins for compression? No. Uh, well, historically, yes, but mm. recently, no. It's been changing. Um, I have the UA 710s, mm-hmm. which is oh, yeah, uh, the, the tube. It, the, what do they call them? Uh, oh, so you kind of are compressing if, if you're using those on your I, I, I will yeah. compress with those, yeah. yeah. So my room mics go through those, uh-huh. and I'll compress it on the fast setting. Like for three dB, yeah. On the room mics, I have my sides. I have a mic on the side of my snare. We'll also put it through that and compress fast, like three dB. Mm-hmm. Um, and what try- preamps are you going through? The seven tens. Okay, it, all your drums or just no. the overheads? Oh, so and uh, you're also running through uh, the API. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all my close oh, yeah. mics go through the API. Okay. Uh, three twelves. Right. Um. And then, so like kick in API 312. I, and I have the a, API A to D, which has uh, an attenuator for the output because mm-hmm. those things run so hot, right? And uh, you don't need as much gain, especially like in, in a, a modern DAW. It's just like the noise floor is not, mm-hmm. it's not even a thing. So um, to get the character out of the preamp, they created their own attenuator. And so it drops it at my, minus 10. Okay. And so I run my kick and my snare through those um, with the attenuator on it so I can drive the preamp a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then my rack and my floor go through like channel one and two of an API 3124. Um, and then overheads go through uh, some 1073 clones that I have. Um, I have a kick out mic, a ride mic, snare bottom. All that stuff goes through like more colored sounding pre's. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the, the, the company that has the, the face of the dog hairball hairball audio. Yeah. Okay. I, I have a lot of their stuff mm-hmm. and their stuff sounds great. Um, I have a whole lunchbox full of their pre's. So I got like a, a pair of 
they're called the Element Series Pre's, and I, I got a pair of each one that they made um, when that when they first came out. So it was like uh, the gold, and I'm I'm probably wrong. I'm normally like ninety percent. I'm like normally ninety percent right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and ten percent wrong okay. <laughs> about everything I say. Um, That's not bad. Well, this it's like even when I'm right, I'm still kind of wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, oh, I mean, if anyone's listening, I'm sure someone could pick out something of. Oh know, my god, I'll get a letter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they're the gold, um, but they're the ten seventy three clones, and so I have two of those, and then I have two of the the bronze. I think is what it is. They're the darker ones, and those apparently have some of the same, maybe like guts of like a LA3A. So it's like some of the maybe the op amp or input output transformer, something like that. Mm-hmm. Again, like more engineering guys could tell you. Right. Um, but it's a really dark, gritty pre, and it's like awesome on a vocal, like a male vocal or like a a bass guitar anything with low information sounds really good and then i have <clears throat> two other ones um I, I, I already said golden bronze so it's like a yellow color when you running the through the 1176s is that for vocals or for guitars i use that a lot on electric guitars guitar yeah it's just man it sounds good yeah i mean that's just the the standard yeah and they're really noisy man Mm-hmm. They are really noisy and they're they're aggressive. So it's like it's not always right for a vocal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have since I've gotten them, I've ran probably like the majority of my vocals through them. Mm-hmm. But now I have like this Avalon seven forty seven seven thirty seven. It's like a tube channel uh-huh. strip kind of okay. thing. <clears throat> so it has an EQ and it has a, like an opto tube compressor and it's super smooth. Mm-hmm. And so I've been using that a little bit more. But uh, now I'm using, like, because I have the two Hairball Audio uh, Reve clones. Okay. And so I'll use that on both mics for the electric guitar. Okay. So the 57 and the ribbon will both go through that. And it they're just, I don't know, they're kind of bright, you know what I mean? In, in a good way, like kind of what you would want for, like, an electric guitar. Yeah. And I barely, barely compress. It's mostly like a like a tone box. Mm-hmm. Like, it... It it maybe at the most like goes minus three. Like normally, it's, the needle's not even moving on that stuff. So for your for your setup, do you mostly like just pretty much set it and forget it, or are you always slightly yeah. tweaking here and there? Yeah, I, for the most part, it's kind of like set it, forget it, in, in the sense that like once I kind of find something that works, I stick with it for a while, mm-hmm. and then I get bored and I start playing around with new things. Right, you know. But you pretty much have the like your drums, like the way you want your drums to sound. You like. Yeah. You know what to do. You can set it up in five minutes. And, yeah. So I actually, yeah. like, I had a, a friend of mine, Greg, build me um, a new plate with an Elko connector. So for the drums, literally, literally, it's like um, unplugging, like, a, a power cable from an outlet, and then all of my drums are unplugged now. Okay. From the pre's and everything. Ugh. So they just, they stay plugged in on my snake. All uh-huh. the same channels, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so when I roll my drums to the side of the room, it takes like five minutes now. I just unplug one plug, and I roll it to the side of the room. Because like, it's a different feeling when you're sitting behind the drums in engineering, for me, uh, as opposed to like just sitting behind the desk. Then I start to feel like, oh, cool, like... I'm an engineer yeah. today. Like, let me like do engineering things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me turn this knob as far as it goes. Yeah, yeah, let me tweak with your sounds, man. 
So I, when, when at all possible, I like to roll the drums away if I'm just cutting a vocal or like if I really got to get down and like tune vocals or something. I'm a lot more inspired when I'm just sitting in front of the desk than mm-hmm. when I'm sitting behind the drums in front of the desk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you've kind of seen my setup, but like I like literally like the drums just go right in front of the, the desk. So it looks like I'm drumming backwards. You know? Yeah. Like you see my back, but I'm like oh, on the keyboard. That's cool. Um, but it's a different, it's a different vibe somehow. Like mentally for me, it changes like the way I, um, I don't know. It makes me, um, I get excited about different things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like uh, I'm, I'm more apt to really get in and like tune a vocal okay. really well if I'm not sitting behind the drums. See, I'm not a fan of, I, I mean, I don't mind people tuning vocals, but to me going in and doing those little tweaks mm. in the vocal. Uh, yeah. It's like you got to though, man. Yeah. And I do trust me for years. I was like, uh, you know, I'm not going to tune a vocal mm. just like, Oh, I'm never going to have to engineer. Yeah, yeah. And it's like slowly but surely, like all the... Do, do you use Melodyne? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just got it. Now, that's probably why I'm still kind of excited about tuning vocals. Well, that's like, the best one, right? I it mean, is. Yeah. It's great. It's pretty transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, man, it's kind of fun for me right now. I'm at the point where I'm still learning. Like, uh, I don't... Do you have... Have you heard of Lynda.com? Linda? Yeah. L-Y-N-D-A? I have heard of Lynda.com. Is that is that um? It's like, it's like online, a learning yeah, online learning online tutorial yeah. space. Yeah. They they have like literal courses yeah, on yeah. everything. It's like going to college, you mm-hmm. know. So when I bought Melodyne, I, I was playing uh, iHeart Festival in Vegas, and it was like this long flight, man. It's like four hours. So I downloaded like the Melodyne tutorial off of Linda, and I just watched it, you know, there yeah. and back. And I brought it like a session with me, just like it was like my guinea pig, and mm-hmm. I butchered that vocal like for four hours. Yeah, just doing all the stuff that right. I saw in the video, and so and that was just like last month or two months ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 now to the point where it's like okay, cool, like I kind of know like what not to do a little bit better now, and mm-hmm. like um, I've gotten a, a lot quicker at it. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but then also what I just started doing is like doubling up. If it's like a real pop thing, I'll Melodyne it. So I'll get it kind of like 80%, 90% of the way there with Melodyne. And uh-huh. then I'll throw Autotune on okay. top of that. Okay. Just because like Autotune has like a character. Oh, yeah. It, you I mean, know? And it's like for a pop thing, if it's if it's going to be like truly pop, you yeah. you miss it. You know, yeah. every one of every four pop songs on the radio now, you just like auto tune is the effect that they're going for, right? Um, especially in hip hop too. Oh, for like, sure, yeah. And you can hear it on like pop country stuff too, especially on like people's vibrato. Mm-hmm. You hear, it, you're like, oh, cool, like, like not okay, like not oh, cool, but like, oh yeah, so, yeah. Like, there's auto tune on that. Yeah. But it has like this way of like, I don't know, just the transitions of the notes everything it, like, it, it adds a sustain to it does to it. it does and it, it really does kind of help um like the other day we did i was doing mixed tweaks on a, a record and um we attuned everything in melodyne and it sounded great but every time I, we were listening back i was like man i don't know like something is just it's just missing one thing and so i had them just bounce me the uh the tracks and I ran it through autotune, brought it back into the session. And we're like, Oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's just like those little tiny inconsistencies just rub your ear sometimes. If, if the whole track is super pop, right? You know what I mean, yeah, things need to be really clear and crisp. 
And if it falters in a, on a pop track. And it's... it could just be like just ever so slightly and just so quick and passing. But mm-hmm. still like, you know, three minutes of those and they kind of add up to, you don't know why it's kind of, we don't know why you're missing the mark, but. So you, are you doing a lot of pop? Hmm. Uh, pop country. Pop country. A lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a couple, I mean, there's a couple prospects. I might, I might do some like pop pop stuff. Mm-hmm coming up this next year which would be fun kind of a little out of my element truly but it's kind of yeah what that's why it's fun and exciting you know um then you start making like a hybrid kit done (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i already like show up to sessions with the spds triggers you know right um and i i use it all the time man Mm -hmm. um I've had more elaborate setups when it comes to like the hybrid thing too, where like I would uh, have like a double pedal ran to a, a kick pad trigger. Yeah. And uh, I would sometimes trigger random samples with my snare drum, like going down live. Mm-hmm. There's a, a couple accounts I have at other places where like they want me to bring like the SPDS, like mm-hmm. almost like that's the drum kit and I'll bring like a kick drum pedal and play the SPDS like a drum kit mm-hmm. and I'll use logic for that. Okay. I'll pull up some of those weird logic drum sounds and yeah. play through that. Um, and then, cause like if you have your sample rate to 48 on logic, it will be friendly with pro tools. You can have them both open at the same time. Oh, okay. The sample rates the same logic pro tools at the same time. Last time I tried to do that was years ago and they just, the systems could not talk to each other, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I, and, and so Logic's default is 44.1. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do anything to change that, you're going to be at 44.1. Yeah. And I, I want to say, I mean, most people in Pro Tools are recording at 48. I w- yeah. I would say. A lot of the stuff that I do, like the library stuff, they want 48. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing They want AIF too. When I And that's I the Logic things. file, right? Uh, I think no, you can do AIF in, in Pro Tools. Okay, it's yeah, just, it's kind of equivalent to I Wave. See. Yeah. I never pick it. It's like MP3 Wave or AIF. I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people want it. Yeah. Do you do 32 bit float? I, I can. Yeah, yes. but most mo- most things that I bounce out of here are 16. Okay. But I I have the option. I could just make it 32. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that are wanting to like track a 32 bit float now. Okay. But 48 instead of like tracking. At like ninety six twenty four, they would rather do forty eight thirty two, mm. or forty four one thirty two. Yeah, it's like the bit rate, I guess, is more important than the sample rate. Yeah, only recently people just asked me forty eight sixteen. That's what it is, but because it's for television. Oh, and that's just how they work. From what I understand, video is cut at forty eight. Yeah. So I think that's what why the sample rate would be forty eight, but mm-hmm. sixteen. I don't know why the bit rate would need to be sixteen. That's what they want. Other engineers would know. Yeah. I, I'm sure if there's an engineer listening this long to our gear talk, they're like, you don't know why you're doing 16. <laughs> yeah. Again. That's Amateur. Why, that's, yeah. That's, that's why, like, that's why I'm, I feel comfortable calling myself a Pro Tools operator. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I just call myself a composer or guitarist. Sure. Because like, all the technical the stuff is, side is, of things, yeah. it's like, there's always a guy like, you know, that's not right. <laughs> I know. And they'll tell you. Yeah, oh yeah. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> oh man. Uh so uh before we end, is uh there anything you'd like my listeners to know about where they can find you, about your studio, 
Uh, Any sure. Any things coming up for you? Man, I don't have a website. Okay. Um, I have an Instagram. But you have an Instagram, yeah. I do, yeah. And it's just Grady Saxman, uh, sax man, like, like a saxophone player. Yeah. S-A-X-M-A-N. And, and your studio is Saxman Studios. Mm-hmm. And I don't I think I have a Facebook page for it. Okay. But it's I mean Yeah. I do like very like I'd almost do like no self promotion for the studio. Yeah. You just um, got the insta feed and That's basically it, man. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like if I open myself up to that, like I'll get a bunch of like, you know, people from Wyoming. And, right. Like, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just <laughs> No offense to people from Wyoming. No, yeah, exactly. I just you know, like it's it's hard enough to to work in town, you know what I mean? Have um, you have you done any um like uh, soundbetter.com nope. or air gigs or okay. No. I'm like an, kind of anti all that stuff. Honestly, uh, when I had my East Nashville studio and I was doing some of that stuff, it's like moving to a new town again and trying to start up and just doing the weirdest sessions. Yeah, so and and again, like not that there's anything wrong with that. But I, there is, I kind of have a philosophy about it, though. You know what I mean? Where it's like, like do like what I really want to do is do like successful things in this town, right? And so opening myself up to those kind of ventures doesn't really help me get there. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if anything, it when you do things that you're good at, it opens up other doors in in, in that direction, right. right? So if you're taking these gigs, like you know, like you know, uh, fly in email stuff and you're killing it. People are going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. You're doing a good job yeah. and you're doing it for a competitive price or something. Right. People are going to talk about that. It's all word of mouth. Yeah. So it's like, be careful where you put your time and energy because you're going to get, if you're doing a good job, you're going to get more of that in return. So that's why I don't really advertise the studio mm-hmm. because I don't want to get more of that out of town clientele. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. I, I still struggle with what, uh, what my end goal with this studio is, even though right now I know it's, I'm writing music all the time in here. I'm making my own original stuff, doing the podcast. And then, uh, I have told people, call me if you ever need to, record yeah um but i really like having this as my studio yeah you know and that's another thing too so uh going back to like building the studio like a philosophy that i had was like i was kind of terrified of building a place and then it becoming just popular in and of its own you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and then me just like booking out the studio right so and, and part part uh partially uh the room wasn't big enough to do a separate control room mm-hmm. and tracking room. I mean, I guess I could have, but it would have had a small drum room and a small control room. Mm-hmm. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to make a control room that's a live room, and I'm just going to roll my drums into that. So <clears throat> that kind of like kept me from being like a truly commercial space in the mm-hmm. sense that like, cool, like Joe you know, um, Smith, the producer, can come in, rent the studio with yeah. an engineer – for however long bring in whoever players he wants to bring in it's like my my studio is very much just like a you know it's just like an offshoot of what i do yeah you know that's what's awesome about the home studio though and and the wave and the how things are becoming more affordable is that you have character that you can sure rent and 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 i will say like 
it's a the space is different, but it, it it's it's it works. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and people people enjoy it. Like they they like getting out of town. For one, it's like twenty minutes outside of downtown. So I'm on like five acres of land. Like mm-hmm. there's like horses and yeah, it's, your backyard's cool. Yeah, it's it's cool. <clears throat> and then I do a very specific thing, and it's different. There's not a lot of other people doing it. There's other drummers that are doing it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it hasn't become like the norm, you right. know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, maybe it's working for me right now. Um, but yeah, it was kind of on purpose, like didn't want to become like the commercial studio. So I don't really have like a, like a, like a true website for it. I had, I still have <clears throat> gradysaxman.com. Okay. I've, I've, uh. I've disassembled it to just a, a, a homepage okay. with a, an outdated <laughs> 2016 SoundCloud link on it. Oh, yeah. And oh, that's man. it. Yeah, it's terrible, man. But, like, <laughs> I'm only really on, truly on Instagram okay. these days. Like, if you write me on Facebook, I'll, I'll see it eventually. I don't, I don't, I just got a new phone, didn't even download the Facebook app to it. I don't have the Facebook app on my phone either, and it's been amazing. Dude, it's great. <laughs> Facebook is just MySpace 2.0 Dude, now. I honestly... Like, and then I'll put it on my desktop and it'll be like, you have 109 notifications. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like how many events? Five people. To? Yeah. It's just events. Someone wrote something in some group that I joined a while ago that I don't care. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, this is really just a way to s- just suck up all your time. Oh, and, God, and, and there's no, suck. yeah. Dude. So I put a, uh, like a cap on my, uh, Instagram too, where like it warns me after 20 minutes. How do you do that? Um, I can show you later. But, okay. Because um, so I, I, I do also waste a lot of time on that. Because yeah. I, I actually do like people's pictures. And, Dude, and it's know. great. Yeah. When, when, whenever uh, Instagram first came out, it was kind of like, oh, great. So we're just going to look at people's pictures all day. <laughs> but now it's like, man, it's so much better than Facebook. Oh, yeah. It truly is. But and, it, like, it's the same company, though. Facebook owns it. They same. own it, yeah. yeah. That's why like that's why Facebook has stories now. and Yeah. You know, I think they also bought Periscope. Right. Remember that? Like mm-hmm. that was kind of its own thing. Yeah, for the so live pe- video. Now they go live on Facebook. It's yeah. like they're stealing like all the proprietary technology or whatever from these companies. Right. It'll end up like MySpace, I think. I think so too. Jack yeah. Black will own it. Or whoever bought it. <laughs> Justin Timberlake. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's still a th- MySpace is still a thing. Somehow. Dude, it's like a time capsule. Yeah. I still have a MySpace page. You, I, have, you, I have like three different MySpace pages. You and three. some friends get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets late enough, someone will go to MySpace. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, look, I still got my profile song up from, you know, 2006. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, but the word of mouth and reputation has worked really well for you in this town. Well, well thank you, man. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a sl- all that stuff is, I mean, to each their own, man. It's just all boils down to like the kind of personality you have. I, I'm just kind of, I think I have the personality, like I'm a kind of a patient person. And uh, man, I kind of like the slow burn, man. Yeah, it's it slow and steady, right? You know, but there's people that move to town that just they have the right um, gusto, man. They walk into a room and it's like all of a sudden they're like doing this and doing that, and that's great for them, you know. what I mean, it, everybody kind of works differently, but for me, I've I've found a lot of um, enjoyment in just like slow, like meaningful relationship kind of things. Like it kind of tends to bear me more fruit. You that's know what great. I mean? Yeah. So. I don't know if I had like any advice to give people, just make like real, real friends. 
That's good advice. Dude, it's hard to do, too. Yeah. I mean, plenty of people, you know, the day they move into town are handing out business cards. and Dude, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have business cards either. <laughs> but that's great, man. I mean, you you got yourself into a scene that has, that has like, born fruit for you in that scene, and, and you're a trustworthy name in it. Man, if you can wait eight years... <laughs> They say it's, I've heard this a five-year town, I heard it's a seven, eight-year town, and a ten-year town. It's like... Man, it, and I don't know. You just got to do good work. Exactly. Just show up every day like it's the last day you're going to work on this stuff. You know what I mean? And and really care. Like, if you you really care, things will happen. When I moved to town, the saying was, the cream eventually will rise to the top. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, especially in recording, what you're really doing is just building trust. There's a lot of people that are great players, um, but for one reason or another, it's like something will happen. Maybe they're late a lot, right. or um, maybe they don't have like studio etiquette. Like they <clears throat> they don't know the things like not to say sometimes around the client. You know? What I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. Or they can be condescending or anything like that, and like they they eventually like weed themselves out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah, the ego that'll get the best of you. Ego, I mean, dude, just show up on time, show up sober. I mean, it sounds... <laughs> oh, man, I've done sessions with guys drunk off their asses. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all these things sound like like everybody knows this stuff. But, I mean, when you when you do music, it's it's kind of like the Wild West in a, in a sense. So, like, if you're just remotely normal, <laughs> like, just remotely, you'll do fine. Oh, you know man, I, mean? I think that's as best you can hope for being a musician. Just is remotely, remotely normal. <laughs> yeah, just like, you know... Someone who like knows their login to like their banking account. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. I don't. I have never done a podcast before, so well, awesome. This is this has been a great experience. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Grady Saxman again for coming on the podcast. Uh, we definitely covered a lot of ground uh, talking about so many different things in this episode. So thank you again. Uh, and yeah, you can follow him on his Instagram, Grady Saxman, Saxman Studios. Um, I got, uh, a musician I knew came up to me at a gig just the other day, uh, before the new year, I believe, and, uh, told me about how his band, they, they just kind of binge listen to my podcast when they're on the road. And that put a smile on my face for the rest of the day that day, because not only is it great knowing that. There are people out there like you listening right now, listening to this podcast. Um, but people listen to it in groups, like bands listen to these interviews. And that that is that really makes me feel great. And to know that there um, is our Grammy Award winning songwriters listening to these podcasts. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, so shout out to everybody who's listening in a van right now while touring. Um, and to all of those all over the world listening to this podcast and wanting to know more about the minds of musicians and professionals in the industry, I really, I really thank you, uh, sincerely. So stay tuned for more episodes coming up and I'll see you next time. Thanks everybody.